So All About Love, Bell Hooks. And if we can do this prayer together, this is something that uh, was taken from the uh, It's All About Love Jesus Movement conference that I uh, attended and I led a workshop on hooks and on Pauli Murray. So I put them in conversation mm -hmm. and reflected on love. And this is the prayer that our church put together, our national church put together uh, for this um, movement. So let's read it. O oh God of wondrous power and still more wondrous love, love, you who have borne us from chaos to creation, from, from dry bones from death to life, send your spirit to set every Episcopalian, our ministries and our communities ablaze so that the world might come to see, know us as the Episcopal branch of the Jesus movement. Bold, open-hearted bearers of good news, repairers of the breach, and stewards of who truly look, live, and love like Jesus. We make our prayer to him, to you, and to the Holy Spirit, our loving, liberating, and life-giving God. Amen. 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 This, this symbol, you're going to see this angel kiss symbol, that heart with wings or a greater than less than sign. <laughs> and they're calling it the angel's kiss. Um, mm. I have to ask them why they call it the angel's kiss and, and figure that out. But um, it just looks like love is greater than to me, <laughs> greater than anything. Um, Bell Hooks on Loss we'll be talking about today, uh, tonight and on healing and redemptive love. And then destiny, when angels speak of love. And she's got some interesting takes on these things. Remind you of our love ingredients as they relate to these chapters. Trust, responsibility, respect, knowledge, commitment, care. And she sometimes puts care with affection. She says that these all need to be present the genuine love that happened. <clears throat> so here we are on the chapter on love and here's some thoughts from Hooks. Loss, loving into life and death. We consider these thoughts. The way we grieve is informed by whether we know love. Our cultural obsession with death consumes energy that could be given to the art of loving. Death is always there to remind us that our plans are transitory. The worship of death is a central component of patriarchal thinking, whether expressed by women or men. For the most part, patriarchal perspectives have shaped religious teaching and practices. And so I say, what are some connections between patriarchal thinking and fear of the unknown. So we can pause right here before I go to the next slide. And um, because let me see, I can't see you all right now. My slide sharing won't let me see you, but. <clears throat> oh, someone's asking. Um, so really quick, Melinda, before we go to this question, I believe that there's an email that comes out just like we got an email about like a newsletter, it'll have uh, the previous sermon on there from a Sunday. Mm -hmm. Also, I believe that it's up on our church website. So I hope that answers. Well, so, you know, I come occasionally because I live in Lancaster. So I'm, I don't always hear sermons, but I'd like to hear it. So Yeah, so it should be in a newsletter that if you are subscribing to our newsletter, a weekly newsletter, just how you got the link to this meeting, this book club, um, and it was in an email like that, you'll get an email with the sermon in there. Also, you can go to our website and it should be there. So thanks for asking. Thank you. I just would like to hear that. It sounds wonderful. Yeah, it, it is. Yeah. 
So, so you know, back to this these connections between patriarchal thinking and fear of the unknown. And Hooks just went like right into that. Um, and I was like, whoa, wait. And so I just want to hear some thoughts on that. I can't see you so <laughs> right now because how I did this this share to this week. Um, but what are, what are some thoughts? You can just go ahead and speak. I'll see it show up somewhere. Anybody? Well, she talked about our, our culture as being a culture of death. And, um, and you know, that, that uh, it was a culture of fear. I mean, we talked about that before, but a, a culture of fear and death. And, and I think you already mentioned it, you know, how we could be given to the art of loving. Um, uh, and then she, you know, it was interesting also to talk, hear her talk about uh, where we seek to know perfect love. Uh, grief is often overshadowed by regret. You know, I'm talking yeah. about regret and that uh, regret things left unsaid, things left unreconciled. And, um, mm -hmm. um, you know, so that, that really spoke to me. You know, I, I, she, she, she talked about how I, I, I try daily to learn to leave folks as though we might never be meeting them again. And that, that was really powerful to me. So it's not really saying about the patriarchal part, but it's just sort of like how you counter or how, yeah. how you move past that. Yeah. Well, as, as a, I worked, uh, I have training, I have an MDiv in training as a chaplain. Uh, nice. did a year at Christ Hospital at Oak Lawn. But one of the things that occurs is that um, people are, um, excuse me, people are on life support and, you know, they ask, uh, the the relative, do you want to revive them? And, mm -hmm. and unless they have signed something, you know, that says no, they bring this person back. And I saw it so often. And uh, the father, the woman who brought her father back, and he was just a vegetable. And mm -hmm. you, there's nothing I could do except, you know, because he hadn't signed, you know, his desire. So it's it's difficult, you know, and that's partly because people regret the fact that they didn't do something in life, so they want to keep the person alive. Yeah, right. And she, and and you know, this thing is stuck out with me. But she said, "Death is always there to remind us that our plans are transitory," and mm -hmm. so you know, those of us who have done chaplaincy work, you you're you're engaging, you know. I've, I've done some cha uh, chaplaincy training too, and you're engaging with it like all the time, right? With your location. And so um, you'll see how some people avoid it as Hooks was saying, like there's a fear of it, the unknown. And it's usually not the patients, it's the people around them. Um, the discussion, especially if they see a chaplain come into the room and you say you're, you're a spiritual caregiver, um, you you know you get a, a very interesting response i don't know if that happened with you melinda but you get a very interesting response from the family or people around that person um oh, definitely sometimes they don't want you anywhere near <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah right uh, um, i mean I, I used to wear a clerical collar this was several years ago uh when i did this but you know it was, you know, i was in an area that was catholic mainly catholic and i would wear a clerical collar because I wanted them to know that I represented the clergy, but you know, I got all kinds of different responses. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. So, so it's, um, you know, it's that, that death is, it's always there um, just because we're not interacting it, interacting with it uh, within our families every day, but there are people who are interacting with um, death, like I said, daily, all the time, that's part of their work um, as doctors or, you know, clergy, nurses. Um, and it is to remind us that our plans are transitory. That one really stuck out with me. Um, that, you know, as Skip was saying, like we've got a, the art of loving and do it now because there's a lot of regret. And I, and I, uh, you know, I'm still working to unpack the the patriarchal thinking and fear of the unknown. And, and she does 
work that out, but but I'm thinking hooks, um, you could explain explain that further for me <laughs> to see the connections. So I'm gonna go to this next slide. And uh this is a face that you 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 probably all recognize. Um this is one of my favorite. Yeah, this is this is one of my favorite uh Twilight Zone episodes. Oh. And and so I look at this the as young our, Robert Redford. Yeah. yeah, he's 25 on here. Oh, so, Robert. Oh, Robert. So it says our fear is directed toward the unknown and the unfamiliar. She does pick that out right away when it comes to death. Um we cannot embrace the stranger with love if we fear the stranger. We believe stranger, you know, the stranger is a messenger of death who wants our life. And so what better episode that I found to work with this than the one with Robert Refford as this special messenger. Am I really so bad? Am I really so frightening? You've talked to me. You've confided in me. Have I tried to hurt you? It isn't me you're afraid of. You understand me. What you're afraid of is the unknown. Don't. Don't be afraid. But I am afraid. The running's over. It's time to rest. Give me your hand. But I don't want to die. Trust me. No. No. Mother. Give me your hand. you feared would come like an explosion is like a whisper what you thought was the end of the beginning when will it happen when will we go go look we have already begun So, Robert Redford. I don't know if you've all seen that episode, um, but that's a really good one. <laughs> um, in terms of uh, The Stranger, uh, you hear that theme throughout these chapters with hooks, is The Stranger and the Unknown. Um, even we've had loss and death in the stranger, and then we'll get healing in the stranger, and also the final one of angels as the messengers or strangers. So definitions of healing, um, thoughts and revelations here. And so I went to scripture, and I think of healing. But all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ, making us acceptable to him and gave us the ministry of reconciliation so that by our example, we might bring others to him. And so for me in this case, in this instance, like healing can be reconciliation, healing um, in relationships, as um, Skip brought up about having regrets um, in terms of someone who's dying, um, a lot of times the the breach of the the, the problem um, in those relationships is there's no been no steps towards reconciliation, and people have 
um, regret over that. Um, and so just knowing that that's something that we're called to. Um, we were reconciled to God through Christ, but we are also given the gift, the ministry of reconciliation. And that is a, um, that's a ministry of healing, a bit different from like the one I'm about to read and a woman who suffered, who had suffered from a hemorrhage for 12 years and had spent all her money on physicians and could not be healed by anyone came up behind him, Jesus we're talking about and touched the fringe of his outer robe and he immediately her bleeding stopped. And so this healing by a touch and she just touches his garment. This one is so powerful. She touches his garment and she's healed. So we have that kind of healing. And then here's another one. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with their brother or sister will be in danger of judgment. If they say to their brother or sister, you idiot, they will be in danger of being condemned by the governing council. And if they say you fool, you will be in danger of fiery hell. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there, there and remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift at the altar and go. First, make things right with your brother or sister and then come back and offer your gift. And that's another um, message of reconciliation or healing a healing of relationship. These things sound, when I read them in scripture, they sound easy in scripture, the reconciliation part, the going to our brother or sister, they sound easy, but they can often be a challenge. Any thoughts there? On healing, any more definitions of healing? Any more examples in scripture or that you like? Um, well, for me, for me, I know healing. Um, I know I lived through the um, losing a lot of friends in the 1980s and 90s to HIV. Ooh, and yeah. um, I know that it was very powerful that we had uh, the Episcopal Church as one of the leaders in providing um, a time for uh, mass AIDS masses that we had, uh, and it was time for healing and loss, uh, and that the you know the 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 you know uh, anointing with oil, unction as a sacrament, uh, the laying on of hands and prayer uh, for healing is, is to me is is a very, very important part of our our community uh, Christian practice, mm -hmm. and. Um, I know that through the, the loss that we had, we were losing all kinds of friends and and uh, family uh, during that time. It was just important to have uh, the church there to support um, to support people in the time of loss. You know, and when, when so much of society was kind of like rejecting and afraid, and again the fear of people who had HIV yeah. and AIDS. You know, during that time when it was first, you know, when it, when, it, when, it, when the pandemic first started. And so, um, but that healing then is again requiring uh, 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 truth telling too. Sometimes when you're, when you're talking about reconciliation too, about being being able to be honest and have honest conversation with uh, members of the community, and you know, you know, and and uh, and, and also uh, you know, empathize and listen <laughs> to yeah. each other. You know that that's and that's hard for for us <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> yeah. That's true talk. Yeah, that yeah. that is. Yeah. And right. We're coming up on that, too. Like how, listening because mm -hmm. and listening and really hearing. And, and I mm -hmm. think when the AIDS epidemic, oh, when that, you know, started, um, there's there's just so much um, st stigma and and um, fear around it and um labeling around it and not enough hearing people's pain or seeing people's pain. Um, 
And and then and then you like you mentioned, then there then there were people doing that, working towards a healing. Like we can look back on that and say, wow, you know, I just take a big breath because I I never thought that we could come to where I actually see a commercial and they have something for pe- a person that could live with it, right? And actually mm-hmm. live a long time. I didn't mm-hmm. I, I didn't think we would see that in our lifetime, like mm-hmm. back when it started, because it was just like. Yeah, it was just it just seemed like it was just powerfully just taking over people, taking over the body, right? Um, and so there's there's another there's a there was a other side of that. Now we've come to the other side of that, um, where people are more understanding um, with that disease. Um, and so I I put the image of this well because I think of the well like um, the baptismal font. Um, and kind of like when we do, like I told you, I love baptisms because I feel like we go, we go in the water with the people going into the water where we went, you know, to death with Christ and we rise out of the water with Christ, um, and this healing that comes with that, um, the emotional healing, um, and, and also the mental healing, um, for some people, um, I try to reflect on some scripture that would capture that well, um, how people can heal from worrying. I always use Matthew six, um, he says, do not worry. And I do have that right there at my desk because that's also healing that, that feel like I, the less time I spend worrying, um, I'm healing from being a worry wart. Um, yeah. Thank you, Skip, for sharing that too and bringing that uh, to memory. Yeah. yeah, I appreciate that. Real, real quick, I was, oh. I had to step yeah. out for a moment, but I was thinking when Skip talked about that period uh, mm. and the church was once or twice a year having what yeah, AIDS mass. Um, just to bring focus to the issue. And I think Bishop Borsch had just come to the diocese and I went to one of them out in Santa Monica and he said something that we all should remember all the time, but he certainly underscored it. Uh, As he began his homily, he said, I have very bad news for everybody in this room. None of us are getting out of here alive. (laughs) <laughs> you know, right? Uh, death is yeah. a reminder yeah. that mm-hmm. we're transitory, right? Teach us to number our days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Hi. Hi. I, okay, I heard somebody. I'm I, Right now, I only see your slides, but I don't see people. Well, I heard a hi. Hello. <laughs> Melinda, how do you pronounce your name? Uh, Olufemi. O- Olufemi, okay. Olufemi, I just... yes. Two things. When I was about 22, I committed what I thought was an unpardonable sin. I won't go into all the details, but my pastor was a tall six foot six man called Hank Anderson. And I was in the hospital and he came and asked me what happened. And I told him and he said, daughter, your sins are forgiven go and sin no more. And that gave me the courage to go on with my life because it it was not a very, it was, I'm writing a book. I'll finish it at some point. The other (laughs) thing I think of is the recent pandemic and, and the, I mean, the number of people that died and uh, the memorial they had, you know, I, how many people did die? I've forgotten the number. Well, I'm I'm just going to say that I did chaplaincy training during the pandemic. And um, I just, how can I say, resolved to forget the numbers that we were seeing. Every morning, I would, you know, go into our huddle. Yeah, it, it was overwhelming. It was. Yeah. 
Oh yeah, I mean, remember, I remember going back to Washington for the display of the AIDS quilt. It wasn't all the AIDS quilts, but it covered the whole mall in Washington D.C. back in the in the in the, uh, in the nineteen in the nineteen nineties sometime. And it was just uh, it was just it was overwhelming. I mean, I, I lost so many friends. It was just uh, yeah. you know, at some time we were losing you know somebody about every week or every two weeks we lose somebody. And I know with my my previous church too, we lost a whole bunch of people at the church as well. Uh, so yeah, it was it was devastating. Yeah, yeah. But no, I also wanted to remind. I, I just thought about Saint Francis and Saint Francis uh, called Sister Death. Talks about Sister <laughs> Death, you know, embracing death, and death is within us, part of life. Yeah, yeah. So you were asking, you know, those numbers, like it just, like I said, with the pandemic, that got overwhelming to see that every morning, like they were looking at the numbers all the time, and I was like, and then you know with is like you mentioned that quilt that quilt um it's beautiful but but it it used to just overwhelm me when i was i've never seen it in person but when i would see it on tv and look on a website it just it just was overwhelming um the loss mm -hmm. the loss was just um and so i back to um healing uh, and reconciliation and truth telling that um skip mentioned too and i say healing in the community because as as melinda as you say that you know two or two or more are gathered there i am and that's that's really the community that's a community that makes a community when we suffer by ourselves um that's that's really hard and so when you were talking about this this thing that was um you know, uh, uh, say terrorizing you, um, and then you you went and you shared it with someone, and 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 that person said those words to you, those healing words. Um, healing really, it really helps to have a community. There's one other person. As last week, we saw the video when the girl um, said to her friend, it was Anne Hathaway playing this role, said to her friend that she's bipolar, like for her to let that out. And her friend asked her, well, what does that feel like? Well, it feels like a giant elephant just took their foot off my chest, which she says, um, because she kept that to herself. Um, and then there's just, even if she never really, um, you know, with, with mental health, uh, in mental disorders and challenges, you never really can get rid of them in some cases. Um, and so living with them, it helps that you have community. Mm -hmm. um, because she was totally isolated. If you watch that, ep that whole episode, she's totally isolated. It's a type of uh, disease that will cause you at times to be isolated, to isolate yourself. And that's, that's that could be that's where you, you can't heal if you isolate we need community to heal uh reverend lester mckenzie i don't know if you're familiar with him uh he's a chaplain for the house of deputies mm -hmm. and this lovely uh video every week and he's delivering a message or a sermon and he sings in the beginning of his message all the time which is so lovely Mm -hmm. call call everybody together and uh he says to listen this week he said to listen is human to hear is divine and so he's he's parsing a difference between those two verbs and i reflected on them in in tandem with uh what hooks was calling psychological terrorism mm -hmm. The belittling of anyone's attempt to name a context within which they were wounded or made a victim is a form of shaming. It is psychological terrorism. We need to speak our shame and our pain courageously in order to recover. And, you know, if, if you read the rest of that, that those paragraphs, she says, you don't, you're not supposed to take pride in where you're, you know, and also just stay in your, your victimhood. But it is this talking and this truth telling and talking about how you were victimized and getting that out so that you can be on the road to recovery. And so that healing, we need community. And so Melinda, thank you for that example, because that's healing and community. The hate, the AIDS quilt um, really uh, is a way of that too. 
impossible for me to go on with my life. Yeah. I, yeah. 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 Um, you know, like that, the AIDS quilt and the conversations that there were so many conversations and videos and concerts and masses, um, in tribute to those suffering and dying with AIDS in tribute to their families. Um, one reason I liked the, the, the musical rent and I think rent was so, um, powerful for me is because one of their main characters was impacted. Well, they all were impacted by the AIDS epidemic but one person did die in that story and they that whole love song that they sing is you know around surrounds that story of that person and i just thought that was so beautiful it's like how you know how do you measure love um, it's so powerful and so it's one of my favorite stories because of um the writer writing about AIDS, putting that right in the center of his story. Um, I don't know if you can see. I had my hand up. but Yeah, I'm sorry. I, yeah, I can't see you. Sorry. I wasn't sure. That's why I decided to just chime in. Um, yeah. Well, one of the things about that period, I wrote a story about it on my blog uh, when I found out Eric Rofus had died. It touched off a whole lot of memories. Wow. It, I, I can send you any of you the link if you would like. Um, but I think what was harder is that, and Skip, Skip and I belong to the same church while this was all going on. Um, two thirds of our cohort group died. Mm. And mm. those of us who were left kind of walk around, you know, I mean, we, we lived it, we beat it to death at the time. I mean, it was so bad. Um, the local LA gay newspaper would not publish obituaries but the one in san diego did wow and, uh, every i think it was every two weeks an issue would come out mm -hmm. and i'd look in the back for the obituaries there was almost always someone i knew mm -hmm. and in the middle of it all and this <laughs> i hope you can all appreciate this i had a neighbor actually fred stoller who uh he may or may not have been living with HIV, but, you know, he, he didn't talk about his health situation. He was involved with Elizabeth A. and other stuff. Mm -hmm. But he was riding his bicycle back from the gym in West Hollywood wow. on Santa Monica Boulevard, and a bus ran over him. Oh, wow. And at the time, I actually burst out laughing. It went because he was the first person in three years who was in the obituaries for something other than HIV. And I mean, I know it's it's perverted, but that whole that whole era was perverted. And Skip lived through it, too. But, you know, when we get we don't talk about it, even with each other, uh, mm -hmm. at least that's my experience. And mm -hmm. uh, because ever all of us just sort of like. You know, no, we don't talk about it anymore. We live through it. That's a, I have a friend of mine who passed a few years ago, but uh, but when my brother and I went to visit her, I actually made a recording of the visit because some mm. side said to do it. Her name was Hazel Armbrister. She lived in Pompano Beach. And my brother asked her about Jim Crow, and she said, I don't want to talk about it. I lived through too much of it. Mm. And... Um, um, anyway, it's just, it, it, it's this kind of, um, yeah, people don't want to hear it. Yeah. There, there are times it. when it's too painful. Yeah. I mean, though, well, not just those of us who live through it. I mean, remember I'm a therapist. I do this yeah. you know, all week long. The, those of us who live through it don't want to really talk about it with each other because it's just it's kind of beating a dead horse. But also those who didn't live through it don't really want to hear about it either. You know, it's the, the best example is, you know, what I know as a gay man is, is straight people really don't want to hear about our experiences with homophobia in the same way that I think people of color don't realize I can't talk about my stuff with white people because they don't want to hear it or they're going to tell me, yeah, yes, but et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. 
and um mm. I think we're getting it's getting at least in terms of of racial issues um I know my friends went when um George Floyd was murdered um basically said what was heartening to them was that during the demonstrations there were actually more white people than there were black people it was like oh my god it's not just us anymore these folks actually care and are as angry as we are and um for me at least that was progress i think the younger generation uh has a very different perspective than uh a lot of the older folks. Yeah, you touch you touched on some good things because um and and so when I heard I have to say one thing when I heard Ambrister, I didn't know ethnicity wise who were you talk who you were talking about in that respect right so I was trying to put that together was this a black woman or a white woman but when you asked about well Jim no Cook. no Hazel Hazel uh, was black um, okay yeah. And because her husband a lot of was Canadian. In the that's where the, yeah. that's where Armbruster came from. He was yeah. Bahamian, right. um, but um, she was a historian in the city of Pompano Beach. Uh, right. and, and the irony of it was that that recording I made, which is almost an hour, it it uh, is the only recording anyone ever made of her. Mm talking about the history of Pompano Beach, how they built the black section of Liberty Park 1 and Liberty Park 2 yeah. in Pompano Beach, et cetera. Even though she was on the Historical Society, no one ever thought to sit down and interview her and record it. Yeah. Well, that visit. And her daughter was just very grateful that I did it. Yeah. And and you and I will have to talk when we see each other in person about the Umbristers because that's a big, you know, my family's Bahamian. Uh, ah. And so when you said that, I was like, wow, because that's a big, that's a big name in the Bahamas. So that's when I thought she was a black woman. She didn't want to talk about Jim Crow. You know, there there's that side, right, where it's painful. But then you get where um, other people don't want to hear about your experience, kind of like what Hooks was saying, right? Yeah. Uh, there's a mockery uh, you were talking about your experience um, with race or with you know what it's like to be a gay man in living in a you know world that is, you know focused on heteronormative uh, you know life um, in reality everything's focused on that as that being universal and um, no one wanted to hear that experience and and, and it's pretty interesting because a lot of times um, those conversations, I don't know if you had this experience, but a lot of times those, how the conversation starts isn't by the person who's on the margins. Oh, Sometimes no, not at all. In something fact, to trigger a conversation and then all of a sudden they don't want to keep going. Years ago, my now ex-husband and I went to North Carolina and uh, we had, uh, he's, he's from Italy and uh, we had Christmas Eve dinner with my brother's um I guess then girlfriend who's Italian American. She mm -hmm. fixed a traditional Italian Christmas Eve dinner, which he complimented her on the both the authenticity of it, the flavors, everything. But her son, who, oh God, he just ah, he drives me. He no, he doesn't drive me crazy. He's just a tragic example of this. Everyone else went into the kitchen to clean up. And Skip and I are out in the living room, and he says to me, well, you know, I'd really like to get, you know, closer to you and know, you know, as a friend and all this stuff. But, you know, you just wear the gay thing on your sleeve. Hmm. And I said, I said, uh, Skip, this, you know, this is why people of color never talk about racial issues or racism with white people. And then he looked at me and said, well, I disagree with that. I had black roommates in college. We got along just fine. And I thought, I just looked at him. I said, Skip, you've lived in Asheville too long. <laughs> That's his, his side of the story, too. A lot of times people say that they got along just fine. But that person, those other persons have resolved not to talk to them about that. 
Well, not only you know, that. You know what I'm saying? Like after all, oh, you, go, sure. you realize that person is too difficult to talk to about that. They're going to avoid well, it. Then I, you just I, don't talk to them. I don't even think it's it's even that conscious in some ways. I think what it is is when, when I'm around mainstream person, uh, people, especially if I don't know them that well, uh, I just ignore or deflect a lot of things they're saying out of social convention. You know, my, um, um, th this is, this is tricky, but I'm going to spit it out anyway. Uh -oh. When I first moved here in, in my first Christmas, 1983 was spent with, uh, a then, uh, young couple that I had known from Miami. She was from Miami. He was from here. Um, and um, we, I went down to their, they were in a, in a, renting an inexpensive house in Fullerton where they were both going to school. And um, while we were getting ready to go over to his family's house for Christmas festivities, Christmas day, um, it was 1983, and he looked at me and jokingly said, ha ha, you know what AIDS stands for? And I said, no. And he says, anally injected death sentence. Mm. I didn't say anything. I mean, what was I going to do? You know, tell him. And I was young. I was 33, 34 at the time. I would add that this the woman went on to become a bishop in this church and he died in a very tragic bicycling accident oh. a while back. And when I went up for the funeral, I was, I, I was received by her as some sort of interesting and humorous oddity. Mm. And I think, I think that a lot of, minority people when we interact with majority people have similar stories to tell uh in the i'm almost done in the film before stonewall there's this wonderful woman named mabel hamilton mm -hmm. they interview and she talks about going out and meeting bessie smith and ethel waters and all at the night you know at the clubs in harlem and um uh, the interviewer asked her, said, well, they were in the life. And she said, of course they were in the life. I wouldn't have been running into them if they weren't. <laughs> she said, I didn't mess with straight people back then because messing with straight people is how you get in trouble. And, you know, I think that's, that's something that most mainstream people, they're not even aware of. The, the things that the rest of us do to accommodate them, or at least our, our perception of our imaginary them, <laughs> because we all in, have that sort of social barrier, the thing or social filter, the things we reveal that are as uncontroversial as possible. And then everything else we keep to ourselves because we just automatically figure they don't want to hear it. They don't want to be bothered. They got their own stuff to deal with, et cetera. And, and I don't know, there's no right or wrong to this stuff. It just is. <laughs> but at the same time, it's one of those is, is it's an is that is a part of our broken and fallen world. You know, yeah. this is, this is Nancy. Hi, I'm going to stop the share so I can see people. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Some, you know, people who aren't, there's some people who just are not part of healing. They're not part of our healing. I say our healing, but I mean yeah. anybody's healing. And so I think we just have to disregard those people when we're looking for healing. Um, and then I think sometimes, there are some people in my life who have lived through horrendous, horrendous things and they don't want to talk about it. And some, some folks have sort of mentioned that, but 
Um, my grandparents were part of the Armenian genocide. They survived that, obviously, long enough for it to be important to me and for me to be here talking, but they never wanted to talk about it. My grandmother in particular, um, you know, when we asked her something, she'd take her fingers and go like this, like she was zipping her lips and then she'd throw away the key. And so we couldn't ask her about things and we would have been, of course, sympathetic, but some things are just too horrible to talk about with even with outsiders. And I don't, I don't think that they, so it reminds me of, you know, what you were talking about the AIDS epidemic when you were losing a couple of people every week or somebody every two weeks, I can understand. I think that would be very much like this. Then I have another friend who is in um, a number of concentration camps in, in Nazi Germany and, and various places, but she was in Auschwitz and some others, two others, I can't remember. But um, she was another who just would not talk with that, except she agreed to be interviewed by Spielberg when he was doing his um, his interviews. And I was teaching a minority literature class and she was an author and she agreed to come and it, she was a poet um, and she agreed to come and talk with my students. And then, and those were, that was the only time I heard her speak about those times. And it wasn't really for healing for her necessarily. It was for sharing her story, which of course is part of healing. But um, I do wonder if there's some things that are just too huge to heal from. Maybe the loss of one loved one, as much as it feels like it's our whole world, when we're part of something that is, when we ex experience something that's so, so much bigger than anybody could possibly heal from, maybe those are times we just somehow block that out or don't want to talk about it. Well, I'll, I'll offer this. My and, brother, then, and then I want to go to um, what Comfort <laughs> put in the, in the chat. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I noticed that too. Um, my brother had a 28-year career in the military, and he spent 13 years of it doing covert military operations, sort of Mission Impossible kind of stuff, saw a whole lot of awful stuff. And uh, he goes to a PTSD group every week with fellow veterans at the VA hospital where they just talk about all the stuff they live through. And, and, you know, he says, nobody else wants to hear this. And even if they want to hear it, they can't, it's not the camaraderie, the fellowship of, of you know, of community, of family, because of those shared experiences. In fact, he and I grew a lot closer together when, when he started realizing I had my own, the content was different, but the process was the same about being a gay man because I started realizing all the stuff I was keeping from him the, for the same reason he keeps a lot of his stuff from, from me and other civilians. And the other thing I'll say about recovery and healing, I don't think any of us ever get over this stuff. I, I really don't. I think it's a part of the fabric of our being. I don't, I don't really want to lose it. Um, I've actually known people who had amnesia, and that's much worse, believe me, than not knowing why your guts are churning. But what I do think the healing is, is making peace with this part of ourselves that's, in my sense, probably at the richest part of us. I think, I think the pain that we have lived through and yet come out the other side able to love even deeper than before is is the real gift of all of this stuff um i don't i don't think it ever goes away i certainly wouldn't want mine to go away because it's it's me it's my life so um but yeah at the same time it's it's a private part of me that i don't easily talk about because like i said a lot of people don't want to hear it Comfort. <laughs> I'm going to get this because we're running out of time and there's just so much. It's like I wish that 
we could come back and do a, a series two of this, right? We well, one whatever. quick question, does it have to be a series or could we make it some sort of ongoing community group where we continue to talk about love and healing and pain and all of this? If I, yeah, okay. Well, we have to talk with Mother Kate and and, and Father John um, because um, this would be great. This is this is my work. This is this is what I'm. You know, I told you last week. My work is you know I do theology, arts, and mental health, but it is you know dealing with trauma and and uh, you know kind of how I reflect. Uh, we have this from Philippians here. Um, you know, Paul is an example of having this this thorn is in his side, um, it not being taken out, and God saying, "My grace is sufficient." So that's going to this healing that we never really get to brand new. Um, a lot of it is a big part of our identity and our shaping, and it increases my faith a lot of times to be a black woman. You know, someone on the intersection of of some things, and and for all of us that have some kind of history some kind of trauma in our childhood or somewhere. Um, you know, when I was just about to get to Hooks's thing on Jacob and how Jacob wrestled with this angel and he gets this thing in his hip. His identity changes. He he grows deep. His name changes. Mm. Um, you know, his identity grows. It shifts, right? right. There's something a lot of times that happens when we wrestle with things, wrestle with life. Um, he didn't hit, heal from that hip thing. Uh, but came to know God face to face. Um, it just, it's just, there's so much, you know, and then like uh, Nancy said that sometimes we cannot have continue to keep having conversations with people who will not hear us. Right. And their lists, you know, you heard uh, Lester McKenzie listening is human Hearing is divine, right? Going down and really hearing somebody and really seeing them and hearing their story. And a big part of the race reconciliation, how uh, um, to say, tent of what Bishop Curry has been doing in his time, you know, as presiding bishop, is this truth telling and storytelling, people telling their stories, just as we've been doing, mm -hmm. telling our stories. So uh, comfort it's been a while since I've really spent, I've got so much highlight and red happening in my Bible here with Philippians, but this, and this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes from Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God is back to knowing uh, who we are in Christ, really abiding in him. I think of John, I believe it's John 10 or John, oh, John 14, you know, abide in me. We must grow in our knowledge of him, grow in our uh, relationship with him. And he says to be, to be able to discern, even though discernment is listed as a gift of the Holy Spirit, we can also ask God for discernment, being able to discern what is holy and what is his will. Um, in Philippians 2, the writer is charging the people of Philippi to be imitators of Christ. So that's all of us, all of us that are, you know, on the margins, whether they're center. And I think as I, you know, it's sometimes harder for people into in the center to see the people on the margins, to hear the people on the margins. But, you know, we read this. We're be, being able to discern, and it's not just to discern what other people are doing, but to discern what we're doing to shut people out. Um, even, you know, even if we're on the margins, right? We have to do what Paulie Murray says. It's like, when my brothers try to draw a circle to exclude me, I will draw an even larger circle to include them. So even with those people who don't want to hear us, they're still a part of the community. Um, is this that how we talk, we know that sharing our stories, they're, they're not ready yet. That's always what I say, yet. But that's what I discern from this passage. I love this because they talk about love a lot in Philippians. Mm -hmm. They talk about community. Uh, there's a lot of stuff leaning towards introspection, too. Yes, Ed. Um, 
Well, uh, the circle quote I love, um, it went in my head. It, it, I'm recollecting it. Um, I think that uh, some some folks say that queer people are, well, in, in uh, um, non-monotheistic cultures and polytheistic cultures, we are considered the shaman and the priestly class because we are both participants and observers at the same time. And I think that's one of the gifts that all different people bring to this universe of life um, is that ability to be both a participant and an observer in what's going on because we have that double layer of insight, whereas the people in the center only mm -hmm. see the center. Right. And uh, so in that sense, it, it's, it's a gift. And I think that the culture encourages us the world encourages us to feel less than and have resentment about that position but i think that god or christ does just the opposite to say no this is this is a very special gift and a very special blessing and it's not something to be healed it's something to be cherished mm -hmm. So if I may, I know we're 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 closing this up, but I'm going to um see if I can share this hooks uh just her quote. Let's see if I can and then I have one favor because I have no way of contacting you except in person at church. <laughs> if you could feel comfortable enough to put your email and phone number in the chat so I can copy it. So that way I can send you the link to the story about Hazel and anything else you might want to see. Okay. And uh, here, it, I put my email here. I do have, uh, yeah, we had a worksheet that we, that I put out the first few weeks of our meetings and it had all my information on it as well. I believe I have your card, so I will text you. Perfect. Too, all Thank right. Um, almost everybody has my phone number here anyway. I'm gonna share this slide on, on the angels as messengers of healing and then we'll wrap it up. Um, there's more I wanted to share, but we'll, we'll get to share some more. This isn't over yet. <laughs> Good. Um, I yes. Continuing this, Melinda, you know, you're, you're interested in continuing this. Oh, definitely. I mean, we just, I mean, whatever, whatever often you'd want to do it. I think it's wonderful. Well, you know what? I told Mother Kate and Father John that I enjoy sharing, you know, having conversations on love and how we can, you know, just think about how we could practice more love. Um, I think that's great. Uh, my heart burns within me when they have these conversations because I feel like um, God has led me to this, um, led us all to this. Um, so yeah, we'll talk. I'll talk with them later, but it'd be nice if they could hear it from you all. Um, to see that you're being fed and blessed with this is great. I just want to share this one slide. And I'm grateful because my computer is not acting up this today. <laughs> which it can do from time to time. Uh, I'm going to take that off because I'm not going to share a clip. Okay. Um, this slide right here, I would like to share. Um, and so she, she talks about the story of Jacob and uh, Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. And then Jacob, you know, I, I like Jacob because he goes, well, who are you? <laughs> he asked him too, like, who are you? And, you know, of course the man says, Peniel. Um, and then here's Hooks reflecting on the story of Jacob. And she does a pretty good job about Jacob's confrontation with the angel as a narrative of healing precisely because it shows his innocence. There's nothing he has done to the anger the angel. 
The adversary conflict is not of his making and he is not to blame for his wound. However, healing happens when he is able to embrace the wound mm -hmm. as a blessing and assume responsibility for his actions. Mm -hmm. And remember in earlier chapters, she said we're responsible for how we respond to the hurt, to the people who hurt us. We're still responsible for that. We're still responsible for that. But to embrace his wound as a blessing. Bingo. And he got a new name in this. So I leave you with that. <laughs> There's more to come. You know, hopefully we'll, we'll be able to get together again and do this. Um, but I leave you with that. That we may not fully come back as brand new after we've been traumatized, after we've suffered genocide. Um, those wounds stay in our bodies for generations even, right? There's some of us that are still feeling the pain of past generations. Um, they found that there's proof of that. And so remind us who we are. We need to remember our ancestors, remember the journeys they took. Mm -hmm. Yes, the essence of family therapy which is what I do. Yeah. It it just it is it is very helpful to talk about these things. Three generations. Yeah. Generations. So the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you and give you his peace that surpasses all human understanding. Have a good night. Sleep well. Think of Jesus when you sleep. I say Jesus's name when I can't go to sleep and then I'm out after about two Jesuses. <laughs> Um, but I wish you all the best. Um, I did put in there a uh, comfort that I'll keep reading this Philippians. I, I like to study the whole book or the whole chapter before I just do um, hermeneutics on it. And we can keep talking about this. So I hope to see you all on Sunday. Thank you so Thank much. You. Mm -hmm. Thank, Thank you very much. much. Yeah, right, right, right. That's been great. Good night. Good, Good night. night. Good night, everybody. Good night.